0: today we're landing the plane on this series that we called Faithful, but let me just quickly tell you why we chose to do this series. See, when you, when you follow Jesus through the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see over and over and over that Jesus' invitation was and is, follow me, follow me. Unfortunately, over time, we as people who say we're followers of Christ, the, you know, the church, we've dumbed down and we've reduced Jesus' original invitation to simply believe in me. And as you know, believe in me, it's a lot easier, a lot safer, a lot less demanding than follow me, but it's also a lot less transforming because it leaves us exactly where we are. Uh, uh, Jesus did not invite people to simply believe in him or accumulate more knowledge about him. He invited people to follow him, and following is an active you know it's it's an it's an active in the real world relational do thing not a passive theological uh, you know ideological religious head knowledge thing over and over and over Jesus invitation was follow me follow me follow me and here's my promise with every next step you take to follow me your faith in me will grow Jesus invitation original invitation to follow me is why one of the visions we have it relevant is that we are a church of active Christ followers there are no Christians simply by name. Now, this is a God sized vision that I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really seem like a reality. But as the pastor of Relevant, I'm committed to do every single thing that I can to lead us toward it because your faith is dependent upon it and the faith of a watching world is dependent upon it. Now, that's the reason we chose to do this series and the reason why what we've talked about throughout the last few weeks is so important for you. If If this is your first time with us, over the last few weeks, we've discovered that one of the big things that God wants for you is to grow your faith and your trust and your confidence in him. And the reason for that is because of one word. And that word is relationship. God created humanity. God created you for an an intimate, growing, real, authentic, interactive relationship with him. Our sin broke that relationship. Our heavenly father sent Jesus to redeem and restore and reconcile it. And what's so important to know is this. Our faith in Jesus and the quality of our relationship with him, those two things are intertwined because as trust goes, so goes the relationship. That's true between colleagues, between spouses, between friends, and that's especially true between you and God. The the more your faith in Jesus grows the better your relationship with him will be. And the better your relationship with him is, the more God's glorified, the more you experience his presence and power in your life, and the more God transforms you into everything he's created you to be. And that's ultimately what God wants for you. Listen, regardless of where you're at on your spiritual journey, regardless of where you've been or where you're currently at right now, I believe that one of the reasons you're here right now is because you want your faith to grow or your faith to be strengthened. For some of you, that may mean that you want your faith to start or maybe restart. For some of you, you just want to rediscover faith. Not a religious faith that's disconnected from the real world, but a faith that impacts and informs your real world responses, your real world decisions, your real world actions, and your real world experience of God. But here's the reality. Being faithful, it doesn't happen by accident. Being full of the faith that God wants for you and that you want for you, it doesn't happen by chance. So the question is, how do we get and develop big, active, enduring, go-the-distance, unshakable faith in Jesus? The kind of faith that shows up at work and at home and in trauma, in our fear and our worry, uh, as we, in the midst of our challenges, the type of faith that fills us with a hope and a peace and a confidence that God is with us, that God is working, that God is there when we experience suffering, pain, hardship, trials, disappointment. Well, those are the questions that we've been attempting to answer in this series. Based on what Jesus taught and modeled, combined with hearing the hundreds of stories of people who have developed extraordinary faith, we've concluded that there are five faith catalysts that God uses to fuel our faith. Now, there absolutely may be more, but I'm convinced there are at least five because over and over and over when people say, here's the thing God used to transform or to grow my faith, they always seem to fall into one of five categories. And throughout the series so far, we've looked at four of those five faith catalysts. Uh, Here they are again. Practical biblical teaching, private spiritual disciplines, pivotal circumstances, and then last week we looked at providential relationships. As we wrap up this series today, we're going to look at the fifth catalyst that God uses to fuel our faith. And I call it personal ministry. When people tell their stories about their faith and trust and confidence in God growing, one of the things that consistently shows up is, then they asked me to serve as a small group leader in the high school ministry. Then my T-Life group leader asked me to apprentice. Then they asked me to teach in relevant kids. Then I was asked to serve on that team. Then I was asked to go on a missions trip. Then, then I heard about that need, that ministry, that team. Then, then I heard about that single mom who needed help with their kids, then there was this perfect opportunity to tell my friend about Jesus, and I, and I felt this internal nudge, this internal prompting, this internal stirring, this internal ought to that I needed to do it. And as they tell their stories, you'll hear, but I didn't feel equipped. I was scared to death. I felt inadequate. I knew. I knew I would be in way over my head. I didn't know enough. I wasn't qualified enough. And I started thinking that stirring that I was feeling inside, maybe it was a bad burrito, but I couldn't shake it. And I, I, after a while, I knew God wanted me to do it. So I reluctantly said yes, and I did it. And immediately I wanted to back out because I felt way out of my comfort zone. I felt like I was holding on for dear life. I felt like I was more, more dependent on God than I've ever been in my entire life. But man, it was such a rush. And I couldn't believe what happened. God actually used me. He gave me the words to say. He used my past to help that person. I saw people being impacted because of me. And as a result, my faith grew over and over and over when people talk about how their faith Grew. You'll hear you'll hear them talk about stepping outside of their comfort zone. You'll hear it, it stepping outside of their comfort zone in Jesus' name. You'll hear them talk about following that nudge and embracing a personal ministry. You'll hear something like this. Go ahead and take a look.
1: I definitely didn't see myself as a leader because I I think it was a, a comparison game of just like looking at other people and thinking that they had some innate quality that I didn't have. And it, it was intimidating to me to think like I would be the face of something or I would be like leading people because I just never thought that I, I guess it was also a self-confidence issue because I never thought that I was worth following. <laughs> but I don't know, now I know it's much less about me and it's more about
2: God. I think like the tension mostly came from like feeling like a person that didn't know a whole lot about, like I had been going to like church my whole life, but I didn't feel qualified to teach other people about it. I felt like if anyone should be doing it, it should be like someone else that's more well-versed in that kind of thing. But Ronnie just kept encouraging me and telling me that, you know, a lot of it is relational. I kind of realized that leadership looks different for everyone.
1: But like to lead a small group of middle schoolers, like for so long, I still kind of like felt like my middle school self was, was there. And so I was like, how can I lead middle schoolers if I still am one? Yeah. <laughs> but now I definitely don't view myself as a middle schooler. I, I see myself as qualified to, to lead these girls and we love
2: them talking to these girls and reading with these girls and leading these girls, it was like, it just felt like what God had put me here for was to shepherd other people. When Ronnie suggested that we break off and do our own tea life group, I was like, sure, yeah, that's uh, the logical next step. But then it kind of came time to do it and I was like, oh crap. like. This is us doing it now. There's not going to be a time when it's better or there's less things going on or I'm less nervous about it. It's it's just one next step at a time. And this was the next step. I think ultimately uh, it's really a step of faith though. Yes. It's like really yeah. what it comes down to. It's like are you going to take that step of faith? Because it is scary. And yeah. but I think I know it's worth it because we have invested in these girls, we've invested in our Tea Life group members and just the relationships that we've built with them are like I cherish those relationships so much and priceless relationships that I think I wouldn't have if I didn't if we didn't take that step of faith Yeah, I started to really
1: see myself as a leader honestly like It started just from someone believing in me. Ronnie even just suggesting to me like, hey, I think that you could lead. I was like immediately affected by just him thinking that I could. I wasted so much time thinking I wasn't a leader and thinking that I wasn't good enough to be a leader, do this or that. And I just say, throw that away and do something that you're not comfortable with And if you still are so uncomfortable with it you don't have to stick with it you can try something else but at least you put yourself out there i i still wish i could just go back and shake my middle school and high school self and just be like shut up (laughs) you're so you're not that sad you're not that bad like just just get up and be confident already so god's definitely he shed,
2: my, he shed a lot of light in my life. By volunteering and by leading, I've seen God work more than I've ever seen him work before. How he's given me, like you were saying, like things to say when you don't know what to say, things to do when you don't really know what to do. Because I've definitely just had promptings of like, I should text this person or I should get coffee with them. And before, I was too shy to act on that. But now, I think God has just made me more confident, like you were saying, in your strengths and abilities, my strengths and my abilities, to be relational and to talk to these girls and guys in our tea life and the girls in Rooted. And it's just given me more confidence to do God's work.
0: Abby and sydney they felt that nudge, that prompting, that stirring to serve and lead in a way that they felt completely inadequate to. They, they were hesitant, but they chose to say yes and embrace a personal ministry. And it's been through that step of faith that they've seen God work more than they've ever seen Him work before, according to their own words. And as a result, their faith has grown and been transformed. And the reason is, is because on the other side of their decision to say yes, is where they experience God's presence, God's power, and God's faithfulness. Listen. Every follower of Christ, every single person who's put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life will experience that internal nudge, prompting, stirring, ought to, to step out and embrace in a, personal, a, a personal ministry at some point. And when that happens, chances are you're going to feel tension. I'm too young, too old, too busy, too unqualified. I don't know enough. And that tension is going to produce fear and reservation and excuses and justifications and I bet some of you are feeling that tug of war of tension right now, and you have been for a while. You, you need to hear this. In those moments, there's more at stake than you can possibly imagine. In, in moments of tension, we conclude the only thing at stake is the need, the opportunity, the team, the ministry, the person. And even though the benefit of what could happen in that person or that group or that team or that situation or our church, If you engaged, is at stake, there's something much bigger at stake. What's at stake is your faith. What's at stake is the quality, the strength, and the transformation of your faith. What's at stake is your faith in God growing or eroding. Listen, if you haven't felt that internal nudge, that prompting, and the tension that accompanies it, you will. Because this is a catalyst that God uses over and over and over to fuel our faith. Over and over and over, God invites us out of our comfort zone into the zone of the unknown to embrace a personal ministry. And you've got to understand this. That nudge and that tension you feel because of it, that's a faith issue. As I said a few weeks ago, faith is like a muscle God wants to exhaust and he wants to stretch our faith muscle in order to build it up. And he does it by inviting us into impossible situations over and over and over again. Probably one of the best examples of this in the Bible is also one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. It's in the first book of our New Testament, Matthew, in chapter 14. And as I go through the story, some of you are going to be like, oh yeah, I know how this ends. It's a good story. And listen, I it's a very popular story, but I just want to encourage you, if you know the story and you and you'd like are jumping to the end of like how it ends, just hold on a second. Listen to it with fresh ears because in the middle of this familiar story, Jesus makes a statement that we often miss. One he eventually says to every person at some point on our faith journeys that makes us so very Uncomfortable. Here's how the story goes. When Jesus heard what had happened, and what had happened was that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed by Herod. We talked about that a few weeks ago. After Jesus heard about that, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So Jesus is trying to get by himself to mourn the death of, death of his cousin, John the Baptist, but it didn't work out too well. He had gained a lar- you know, big popularity, and a large cra- by this point in time, a large crowd had heard that Jesus' boat was in the area, so they went. And they found him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, and I love this, he had compassion on them. Isn't that so cool? Like even in the midst of his personal sorrow, pain, and mourning, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples, that's Jesus' team, his team of 12 disciples, came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the crowd had probably walked a half a day to find Jesus, and they found him, and now they're with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them, and he's healing people, and it's gotten late into the day, it's gotten to the evening, and... The disciples are hungry and the crowd is hungry. This has been an all-day event. And so the disciples, they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. And all these people are hungry. They need to eat. We think it's time to send them away so they can go find some food. And this is where the story gets so rich as it relates to your experience and my experience. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. And here's a statement we often miss. You... You give them something to eat. Listen, don't miss this. The disciples saw a need. They saw a problem. And they asked Jesus to do something. And Jesus, in turn, asked the disciples to do something. He asked them to be part of the solution to the problem. He's going, guys, I recognize the same thing you do. I'm God, by the way. I recognize that they're hungry, that we're in the middle of nowhere, there's no food, and that they need to eat. But guys, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. And the disciples knew that that's impossible because there's thousands of people there, so they're immediately filled with tension. And this is the tension that if you're not facing now, you're going to if you want your faith to grow. It's a tension that every follower of Christ faces and it's exciting. It's a tension that when you see and hear of a need and you start feeling that internal nudge, that internal prompting that ought to as if Jesus is saying, you meet it. You serve it. You do it. And their reaction, the disciples reaction is like, and our reaction is like, no, 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 no. I don't meet those needs. I pray for people to go meet those needs. So God, I'll pray that you send someone. And Jesus is going, I want you to do it. You give them something to eat. Listen, when you hear, you see a problem, a need, an opportunity, and you feel a stirring and a nudge that makes you think, I really hope someone does something about that. That's a big indicator that Jesus is inviting you into something. Jesus is inviting you to do something about it. He's inviting you to engage. He's inviting you to be the solution. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm a prayer. I'm a financial contributor. You say that because when you think about those environments and those situations, you know what you don't know. You know they're going to ask you questions you don't know the answers to. You know you're not trained. You know the junk in your life. You know how busy you are. Listen, there will be a time in your faith journey where you're going to feel a nudge through which God is saying, I want you to engage. I want you to serve. I want you to do it. And like the disciples, in those moments when we're staring down the barrel of our own fear and inadequacy and reservations is right where Jesus wants us. Because at that moment, like us, the disciples had no idea what hung in the balance so they started to do what we do they started to justify why they couldn't and why it wasn't possible we have only here five loaves of bread and two fish they answered in other words we can't do it jesus you got the wrong guys it's just not possible with what they have. I imagine them like looking at Jesus, like rolling their eyes like we do, like Jesus, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough, education enough, resource enough. I don't have enough time, enough energy, enough skill. This is for someone who has more faith in me, more knowledge in me, more education than me, more experience in me. This is like for the pro people, like for the missionaries and for the pastors of which I am not one. And then Jesus said, I didn't know that. You're right. I'll find someone else. (laughs) No. I love what Jesus said next. And what Jesus said next, by the way, is how problems are solved and needs are met. In your family and in your neighborhood and in our community and at your job and in your school And in our church, what Jesus said next is an invitation to all of us. Here's what he said. Bring them, the bread and the fish, bring them here to me, he said. There they stood with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus invited them to do what he invites all of us to do. Bring me what you got. Bring me what you got. Bring me what you got. Here I, here you, here we stand with our loaves, and our fish. Some of us have more loaves than fish. Some of us have more fish than loaves. We don't all have the same talent, the same resource, the same capacity, the same capability, but we all have something. And Jesus' invitation to all of us is, you want me to do something? You want me to do something in the faith of the next generation? You want me to do something in your church? You want me to do something in your neighborhood? You want me to do something in that person's life? You want me to do something with that injustice? I want you to participate and bring me what you got. Bring me the time, the passion, the experience, the talent, the education, the resources you do have. Just trust me enough to bring me what you do have and then watch what I can do with it. And so, they do. And he, Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then Jesus did something crazy, something the disciples definitely weren't expecting. Then he, Jesus... Gave them, the fish and the loaves, to the disciples. Now don't miss this. Jesus gave back to them what they just handed him. And I imagine them thinking, now what? Listen, if we would just take what they did next and apply it, It would be a game changer, not just for what God wants to do through you, but what he wants to do in you. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Once Jesus handed the fish and the bread back to them, here's what they did. They did what they could do, because that's all they could do. They didn't know how to feed that huge crowd with just a few loaves and a couple fish. But they knew how to turn around and serve what they had. So they simply did what they could do with what they had. They did what they could do and they trusted Jesus knew what he was up to. They trusted Jesus might do something more with it. They trusted that somehow Jesus was going to come through. They knew if they didn't trust Jesus by doing what they could do, they'd never know what he might do through them. This is literally what they did when they turned around. They walked by faith. Listen, walking by faith isn't coming up with something that you want to do. And then imposing on God or assuming on God to him, for, him, to, for him to come through for you. That's not walking by faith. That's you walking like Jesus is a genie in a bottle. Walking by faith is when you feel that internal nudge, that internal stirring that like, oh, I ought to. To do something you know you can't do, you step into it Anyway. So the disciples turned and they walked into the crowd, hoping they wouldn't look like a total fool, trusting that Jesus was going to come through. And because of that, something remarkable happened that wouldn't have happened in any other way. They all, all the people there that day, ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. The disciples did what they could do. And Jesus, in turn, did what only he could do and made a few fish and a couple loaves of bread multiply to feed thousands. Now, let me tell you what the disciples didn't do that day. I can guarantee it. They didn't walk away going, we're amazing. We are an amazing group of guys. They did what anyone who experiences experiences this dynamic does. They walked away going, we didn't do that. I mean, we did our part, but we can't take credit. We simply did what we could do, and Jesus did what only Jesus can do. Do you think the disciples ever forgot about this day? What do you think that happened to the disciples' faith in Jesus that day? It grew exponentially. And it happened because their active, activated faith intersected with Jesus' power and faithfulness. And it would have never happened if they didn't do what Jesus invited them to do. The bottom line is this. Our faith grows when we trust God to do what only he can do by doing what only we can do. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, at some point you will experience the internal nudge, stirring, prompting, mm, ought to, to embrace a personal ministry. And in moments where we feel the nudge to serve, to lead, to sign up for, to step in, to step up, there's more at stake than we can possibly imagine. In those moments, what's ultimately at stake isn't the needs that might go unmet if we don't do something. What's ultimately at stake is our faith growing or eroding. That internal nudge and the tension that accompanies it because of our fear, our inadequacies, our reservations, is our faith muscle being stretched because nothing causes us to depend on God more than pushing through our comfort zone into the zone of the unknown. Personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weakness. When we accept Jesus' invitation to do what we can by bringing him what we got, we're actually paving the way for our faith to grow because it's the only way we'll ever see him do what only he can do personal ministry positions us to experience God's faithfulness in response to our a little, little bitty, I'll bring you what I got acts of faith this is how God works the people who choose to say yes the people who choose to bring Jesus what they got the people who choose to do what only they can Come out on the other side with bigger faith because it's on the other side where we experience Jesus' presence, Jesus' power, and Jesus' faithfulness. But when we say no, when we don't bring Jesus what we have, when we don't do what we can do, when we ignore the nudges, we'll never know what God's willing to do through us and in us. And as a result, our faith will atrophy and become frail, feeble, and weak. And come on, be honest. That's what's happened to some of you. That's simply why some of you have lost faith or are losing faith. So where's Jesus nudging you? Where's that thing... What's that thing you feel like you ought to, but your fears, reservations, inadequacies, excuses have stopped you, but it won't go away? Maybe it's to engage on that team or help that person at work or apprentice to be a T-Life group leader or serve in one of our next-gen ministries or take that meal to that person who's struggling or help that single mom carpool or work the concession stand at your kids' games or coach that little league team or invest in someone who doesn't know Jesus or, or invite them. Listen, what's ultimately at stake is not the need, the opportunity, the team, or the ministry, or the person. What's ultimately at stake is your faith. God wants to do something in you and through you, but you'll never experience what only God can do if you don't trust him enough to do what only you can do. So if you want your faith to grow, then say yes. Say yes. Say yes before you're ready because you'll never be ready. Say yes before you know how it's all going to work out. Say yes to where and how and who Jesus is inviting and, and, and nudging. Say yes by bringing Jesus what you got. Say yes and declare, I'll do what I can do and trust God to do what only he can do. I'll do what I, only I can do and I'm going to trust God to do what only he can do. That's what it looks like to walk by faith. That's, what, that's the walk that God uses to fuel and grow and transform Our faith. And the thing that will tempt you to say no is the same tension the disciples felt. I don't have enough bread. I don't have enough fish. I don't have enough time. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to. I'm not talented enough, strong enough, smart enough, young enough, old enough. I don't have enough ability and resources. And you know what the truth is? You're right. You're right. The disciples did not have enough bread. And the disciples did not have enough fish to feed all those people that day. But their loaves and fish and our loaves and fish in Jesus' hands are more than enough if we trust him to do what only he can do when we do what only we can do. Saying yes, it may cost you time. It may cost you comfort, it may cost you convenience, it may cost you wants, it may cost you money. But what you get on the, on the other side is, so, is worth so much more and so much better. Our faith grows when we trust God to do what only he can do by doing what only we can do. Relevant. We believe having a a personal ministry is a catalyst, one of the catalysts that God uses to fuel our faith, which is why we are passionate about engaging every person at Relevant into serving on a team. I mean, even if you're new to the church thing, or you're not sure you believe all this Jesus stuff, or everything that's in the Bible, or everything that Relevant believes, listen, you can still engage in this way. At Relevant, you can belong before you believe. Regardless of how young you are, old you are, where you've been in the past, where you currently are, what season of life you find in, you find yourself in. You should engage in serving on a team because when we do what only we can do by having a primary ministry, God does what only he can do and transforms our faith, transforms our church, and transforms the world through our church. So listen, if you're not engaged in a personal primary ministry by serving on a team, I want to invite you to take that next step by signing up for Team Link. Team Link is a 60-minute event that helps it helps you engage in serving on a team. You're not committing to anything by coming to Team Link. You're just coming to hear, be informed about the different teams and different opportunities we have and on how to take a next step to engage if you'd like to. Our next Team Link is just in a few weeks on August 27th. So to see, see our list of teams, to register for Team Link, to find out more information, all you got to do is text the word serve to 55444, we'll send you a link and you can see all the teams and you can register for the next team link. I want to say, before I, before I wrap up, I want to say one more thing about this faith catalyst. If you've been a part of Relevant for any period of time, you've heard us talk about volunteer staff, but you may be still unclear who these, people, who these people are. In short, volunteer staff are the people of Relevant who have committed to own and drive our mission of transformation. Volunteer staff are the people of Relevant who have committed to own and drive Our mission of helping transform people into everything God's created us to be by being committed to having a personal primary ministry at Relevant. We are who we are as a church because of the over 500 people who have committed as volunteer staff. All of our volunteer staff have gone through two classes one's called Relevant 101. One's called Relevant 201. Relevant 101 is a five-week class where you learn about relevant, you learn about God, and you learn about how to follow Jesus. Relevant 201 is a five-week class where you learn how God has uniquely created you. It will help you identify your personal primary ministry and will equip you more for it. The time commitment to go through Relevant 101 and 201 is very short, but the difference it will make in you and your faith is huge. So to learn more, to register for that, all you got to do is text the letters 101, or excuse me, the numbers 101 uh, to 55444. You, you'll learn, we'll send you a link where you can learn more and you can sign up for the next 101 class. Listen, even if you're not interested in volunteer staff, but you'd still like to grow in your faith, Relevant 101 is your best next step. Our faith grows when we trust God to do what only he can do by doing what only we can do. So do you want to grow, get, develop, and enduring, go the distance unshakable faith? Well, what is Jesus inviting you to trust him with and do? Listen, there's there's someone whose life, whose child, whose marriage... Whose faith will be changed and transformed once you give into that nudge, once you say yes, once you bring Jesus what you got, once you do what only you can do. So Jesus would look at you and me and say, You do what only you can, and I'll do what only I can, and you'll be amazed at what we can do together. You Give them something to eat. Based on what Jesus taught and modeled, combined with hearing the hundreds of stories of people who have developed extraordinary faith, we've concluded that there are five faith catalysts that God uses to fuel our faith. And here they are. Practical biblical teaching, private spiritual disciplines, pivotal circumstances, providential relationships, and personal ministry. If you want to grow in your faith, you missed any of these weeks, I would encourage you to go back and watch any of these weeks. You can watch them on the relevant app. If you don't have the app, get the app. You can watch them anytime on our website or on YouTube. Uh, When you walk out, we're going to give you one of these cards that has all five faith catalysts on it. I would encourage you to take this card and put it somewhere where you can see it. And when you see it, every day or however often you see it, I'd encourage you to pray the prayer, Jesus, is there anything you're inviting me to do? Jesus? As I look at this and I'm reminded, is there anything you're inviting me to do? And if you feel a nudge, a prompting, take the next step. Because being faithful, it doesn't happen by accident. I'll say one final thing to those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, who have never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, who would not call yourself a follower of Christ. I believe you're here. I believe you're tuning in because you want to experience the impact of real faith in your life. You want that faith to be reignited maybe, to start. You've got to know, it's only after you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus that you can experience your faith in him growing because... As trust goes, so goes the relationship. Those two things are intertwined. Jesus is inviting you to enter into that relationship by putting your faith in him, asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And if you never have done that, as I pray, and you feel that stirring, that today's the day, I would encourage you to do that now. Dear Lord, thank you that... uh, You've called us to be part of Your plan in this world, Lord. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't seem like the best plan to me, but somehow You think it is, and so You use our brokenness and our sinful tendencies, and You want to see the all transformed for Your glory. So You engage us in this way, and uh, Lord, I pray that we say yes. We say yes, and through that prayer, faith in You grows tremendously and you use us to impact many people's lives. Lord, for any person who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, who feels that stirring and prompting, to do that right now. Lord, I pray at home in this room, quietly, they choose to do that right now. They, they pray to put their faith in you, right, right where they're at. They declare their need for a Savior because their sin broke their relationship with you. They, they declare that, Jesus, you are that Savior You prove that you can save them, that you're the savior of the world through your death and resurrection. And right now I pray that they ask you to be their savior. They ask you to be the forgiver of their sins and they declare right now they wanna follow you as their Lord. They ask you to be the leader of their life.